on the first cycle of the apprenticeship program, Group 30. And my name is Maxine Wyman, and I am in the third phase of the apprenticeship program. And my group is Asalia Manasea Tujang, Group 29. But we're here to encourage all of you out there who have an interest in radio to come and join us at KPFA and become trained in the art of radio. It's a wonderful, enriching program that teaches you how to engineer radio pro- programs and also how to work with uh, various kinds of people. You might even meet Mr. Right or Mr. Wrong or I don't know. There's a lot of the, you know, anyway, might get a date or something. Or a creative collaboration is there even better. There you go. There you go. Let's, let's, let's lift the level a little here, please. I'm sure there are after-hour parties, though. It's a well, like community for, for thing. For instance, I've been working at the program for, I guess, about two months, and I'm already uh, producing Jennifer Stone's brief nine-minute uh, parts, uh, pieces. The little nine-minute uh, morning show yeah, spots. Yeah, and, uh, and also I'm, I've already started to edit the KPFA uh, evening news or the, well, how we mix it up, like, <laughs> from the, we take it from the free speech news and stuff yeah. like that. So. Yeah, so that's serious. But what's important is to know how to become a part of this program. And... The, Part of that is you have to have an application, and to get an application, you should call us because the application deadline is coming up fast. It's Friday, July 14th. Uh, that's this Friday. Um, and so we need you to call us at uh, KPFA 510-848-6767. Uh, dial either the apprenticeship office line 235 or what's that other extension? 605. 605 and ask for an application. We'll have an orientation talking about the program in detail on July 20th um, at 7 p.m. And then there'll be interviews, and from there, the sky's the limit. Also, there's other ways to get applications. You could actually come down in person to 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley and pick up an application, or you could visit us on the web at kpfa.org, and a couple clicks will get you to downloading an application for your very own. You might want to come down here and just case the joint just to see whether... (laughs) It looks like something you would want to do. Okay, Maxine. The apprentice extension is 235. That's right. Is that right? 235. So you just call KPFA, which is 848-6767, and then you just uh, put the extension 235 in and now... Uh, leave your address and your name you, clearly stated. You can leave <laughs> messages, you know, or or um, extension 605. I always call 235. And hurry, hurry, hurry. Yes, Friday, people, the 14th, uh, that's one, two, this is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you're going to do it, do it now. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. on Friday. 5.01, you're out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you both for coming in and telling everybody about this program. I've been meaning to take it myself for about 20 years. What do you think? <laughs> go, Jennifer, go. I don't no. need it. <laughs> no, I think that might be fun because I, uh, I have a lot of trouble with the buttons, but I do like to press the little buttons, you know, and play with the, play with the knobs. <laughs> okay. Today, I have this whirlwind. I was coming down here today, and I thought, I said, Lanya, stop the world. I want to get off. 
It's too much, people. It's just too much. There's just so many things we have to deal with. And I guess uh, I can't deal with them. I guess that's the truth. You know, the gestalt prayer teaches to know what we can do something about and that which we have no control over. Uh, oh, Lord, yes. Let's see. Tonight there's a uh, uh, Berkeley City Council meeting to save the senior and disabled housing. That's where I live at the old Harriet Tubman Terrace. Yes, tonight... Berkeley City Council meeting, Save Berkeley's Housing, 6.30 press conference on the steps of the old city hall. You know the drill, folks. That's 2134 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley. Then there's the city council meeting. Come in and speak up to support the housing authority. Oh, those of you who have the strength to carry on that fight, God bless you. I mean... And while you're at it, let's save the warm pool at uh, Berkeley High. And what about this global war on women <laughs> while we're at it? Yes. Oh, women and children last. Whatever happened to feminist fundamentalism, you know? I remember when we had a plan for a parallel legal system, you know, the sort of system where the women lay down the law. <laughs> Yo mama. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Am I being divisive? Oh, no, I mustn't have that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My uh, mantra these many years has just been grab the children and run. And, uh, you know, as far as the men go, I always said grow your own. Uh, I have two sons. They're as good as it gets. But, uh, you know, uh, they have their, what do you call it? They have their interests. I think that... Uh, we must all just keep trying uh, within the framework we've set down for ourselves. Some old philosopher said good is done in minute particulars. You know, you set aside a little, a little pile of work and you say, well, I'll get that done before I sleep. That's enough for today. We can only do today what we can do today. And so I'm going to let the world go by and tell you all about a friend of mine. Uh, I do this because uh, I'm so excited. Uh, it's uh, she's she's doing a play. I can't pretend to be objective when it comes to my old friend Jean Shelton. We have been dear friends for 40 years since before she became the Bay Area's favorite acting teacher. And next week. She begins previews. She's doing the leading role in the trip to Bountiful, which is no mean feat for someone in her age range. <laughs> Jean and I are 70-something. Being actresses, of course, I don't want to be too specific. Anyway, I've never seen that role played by anyone other than the late Geraldine Page in the movie. I wasn't sure of her interpretation, but nobody argues with Geraldine Page. Anyway, when Jean opens in the trip to Bountiful, uh, I think I might try to get her here on the air, give us a sample of this uh, show she's doing. This is a very brave thing, it seems to me. In the meantime, I thought I'd give you a little backstory on this remarkable woman, Bay Area treasure what we call one of the grand dames of the theater. 
course, I know her in her uh, jeans and sweatshirt style. But <laughs> when I first met her, we both smoked like chimneys and partied too much. And, of course, did theater morning, noon, and night. That was our raison d'etre. The first show we did together was a play by Norman Mailer a biographical play that skips around uh, in Norman Mailer's life. <laughs> she played Norman Mailer's lover, and I played his mother. We both got to slap him around, that is, slap the actor playing Norman Mailer. Anyway, last night I dug through the files and I found an essay published, oh, many, many years ago. It was during the era when feminism framed my thinking, and you know how that is when you first, uh, when you get it, when you begin to see it, it permeates everything. Jane's success with her acting school seemed to be a remarkable achievement for a woman uh, who had spent most of her life, uh, well, let's see, she had been a legal secretary, that was her day job for years, she had gone through three marriages, uh, two of them to theater people. She had raised five children, some of whom have gone into the theater. Uh, her oldest daughter, Wendy Phillips, I caught the other night in a show about uh, Mormons, about polygamy. Yes, about polygamists. It's called Big Love on HBO. <laughs> she has a, a part in that fascinating uh Wendy was in for a long time. She was in a show called Promised Land, but I won't, uh, I, I digress. Uh, it is, of course, a, a theater dynasty, let's call it that. And that story is far too long for a half hour show. Let me read you a little bit of this, I called it an interview that I did years ago for Jean. There was a little magazine here in Berkeley called City Minor, and I said, let's, Let's put together uh, an interview, Jean, and uh, we'll talk about you as a uh, uh, emerging entrepreneur. Uh, let's see. It says, Jean Shelton and I sit in Walker's Pie Shop on Solano Avenue. We go through our usual rationalizations about food. She has the diet special. I have pumpkin pie with whipped cream. She tells me she's going to Europe this summer, and certainly there's no question that Europe looks better if you're thin. Footnote here, Jean and I did get to Europe together. Let's see, 1989 that was. Um, yes, well, we'll always have Paris. In case anyone is unfamiliar with the theater scene hereabouts, uh, I need to tell you that Jean Shelton's acting school is a phenomenon unique in the Bay Area. Jean's classes began at the Berkeley Repertory Company in 1968. I remember at that time there were a number of actors, including myself. We wanted to work intensively, and Jean was asked to teach. Oh, we met, we worked, the school moved to a church on Prince Street, finally to its present location at 8th and Dwight. Another footnote here, the school is now located in San Francisco. It's been there for years and years, up there on Sutter Street, I think. Uh, 
The uh, theater is called the Actors Theater, and you can find the details of the performances of Trip to Bountiful in your local paper. I don't have the uh, times and so forth, but any local paper, you can find those. Uh, the previews, as I said, are next week. Uh, In 1974, they created a performance workshop that evolved into a, something called the Playhouse Company. Um, the school was lodged then down at 8th and Dwight in a mammoth warehouse. Yes. Okay, sitting across the table from me, Jeannie reminds me for a moment of an innocent Jean Moreau. Yes, <laughs> she does look like Jean Moreau. I've known her for more. Then 10 years now, 20 years now, yes, 40. I just realized we have the same initials, so how can I type the interview? Okay, I'll have to use the last names. Hmm, Stone, Jean, how did you come to the theater? Shelton, when I was 19 at the end of a marriage, my father left me $2,000. I couldn't decide whether to go to Europe or go to New York and become an actress. I'd never taken any drama in college. I'd never seen any theater. For some reason... I was trying to write. Stone isn't everyone. Shelton, the theater was fascinating to me, so I decided to spring the money on that. I was very naive. Marriage offered little that was exciting. The theater seemed the opposite of everything I'd known up to that time. Stone, is theater a place where women can grow? Shelton, I suppose it's the search for identity. That's certainly always been my problem. An artist, an actress struggling with a part is very similar to a woman searching for herself. In acting, you begin to search for what you feel and what you want. In essence, who you are. It's very strange because a lot of people think, well, actors, they just have no identity playing all those different roles, but it's not true. There's a focus. I have a number of younger women tell me that going through this process has really changed them. As people, they want to be more independent. The introspection required, the self-study, can't help but raise their awareness, their self-awareness. Of course, women can be victims in theater as well as anywhere else, victims of their directors, of their fears. <laughs> Stone. So you chose the examined life over a trip to Europe. What if you go to Europe this summer and decide you made the wrong choice? Shelton, eat your pie. Stone, do you feel the success of your school and the theater is related to the growth movement, to the desire of so many people to do their own thing? Shelton, yeah, so many people are frustrated. The world doesn't seem to have much to offer. Jobs can be grim. Materialism is depressing. Where is the spiritual life going to come from, if not from the arts? Personally, I think the theater saved my life. Husbands come and go, lovers come and go, children grow up and go away. Work is the one constant, the thing that endures. Ah, Stone quotes Voltaire. Yes, we must go and work in the garden. Sorry, I'm pontificating. During the 60s, a lot of creative artists found themselves on the barricades instead of in the garden. There's a time for artists to express their political views directly. Sometimes it's hard to know just when this should come about. 
you know, as well as when the time is ripe for reflection and turning inward and that private vision thing. Since there's a lack of overt political expression just now, do you think that may be one reason for the renaissance in the arts? Shelton says, yes, we're more creative. Uh, when as many people in as tiny a town as Berkeley are working so hard creatively while something's happening, of course, we can't know what the result would be. Uh, and she goes on at great length about the scores of theaters functioning in the East Bay. Uh, impossible to know all the work that's going on. When I think back over the last half century here, I'm doing a parenthesis of my own. The number of theaters that have come and gone here in the uh, Bay Area is absolutely incredible. Uh, just amazing the amount of uh, theatrical uh, energy. And Stone, yes, says to Shelton, a lot of that work got its impetus from your school. So many students have studied with you and then gone out and created their own theaters. Uh, Shelton, communication is so difficult in any relationship with children, with a lover, whatever. In art, you're free to say what you feel. You don't have to censor yourself. Stone says, the mask gives you permission. <laughs> Shelton says, at least it keeps you from getting arrested. Stone, you have five children. How do you manage to be an entrepreneur? Do you have a housekeeper? Shelton says, if I did, I'd have to clean up beforehand. No, I I have too much guilt to let someone clean up my mess. Stone, isn't that a little socialist for someone from the South? I mean, so, after all is said and done, the dishes aren't? What about the children? Sh Shelton says, they resisted when they were young. They wanted me home. Everyone else's mother was home. With time, they became proud of my work. They come, they criticize, they have their opinions. This or that stinks, you know. But they're proud I've done the work. Stone says, someone, Clarence Darrow, says the first half of our lives is made miserable by our parents, the second half destroyed by our children. You spent more than half your life raising children. Would you do it again? Sheldon says, let's talk about theater. Stone says, okay, Konstantin Stanislavski says, among other things, an actor must work all his life, cultivate his mind, train his talent systematically, develop his character. He may never despair and never relinquish this main purpose, to love his art with all his strength and love it unselfishly. Hmm. How do you imagine young actors today reconcile statements like this with the success of Farrah Fawcett Major? Shelton says, I avoid the subject of commodities. The business of entertainment is one thing. The art of acting is another. Stone says, last night I dug out my ancient college papers on Stanislavski. Hmm. I got a B minus on the actor prepares. I got A on building a character. But after I read my life in art, the professor told me to cool it. That was in nine. 1952. A lot of blood under the bridge since then. You and I have talked a lot about the evolution of the method. That would be the Stanislavski method, the Russian acting method. Back in New York in the 50s, I can remember method actors who were positively dangerous. I'm afraid they began 
to believe themselves, yes, in the roles, yes. Um, they lived the part, Shelton says, of course, putting your life in danger won't necessarily move an audience. Uh, and that, of course, is what acting is about. I still think that the method is the best uh, foundation for actors. The books, that is, the works of Stanislavski, should be read like novels, not like the Bible. The method has been glorified so much that actors have been intimidated. In class, I try to demystify the art of acting. Of course, if you totally believed you were the character you play on stage, you'd need a doctor. The method is a technique, a structure, something to use to get you inside a character. An actor must have self-control, a sense of humor, and do the work. As in any art, no amount of inspiration or feeling, no matter how intense, will take the place of work. Stone says, uh, what about innate talent? Shelton says, talent is what you know. Stone says, don't you mean the expression of what you know? Or is that technique? I'm getting tangled in my words. Shelton says, I just want it said that art is not something mystic. Stone says, but you said the creative life is spiritual. Shelton says, I think I'll have a Coke, Diet Coke. <laughs> Stone says, I agree with you, of course. The theater has always been my religion, too. I was a child in the theater. Most of the joy and celebration in my early life centered around a stage. What is this feeling so many actors have that the theater is their home? Shelton says, again, it's the question of identity. Some of us need the ritual, the celebration of the theater. Remember, the theater grew out of religious ceremony. Sports grew out of the same thing, the conflict or the drama is the acting out of desires, the recreation of life. Stone says, when I was a kid, I always put on plays in the backyard and made my parents and their friends come and watch. Do you think the kids today get a chance to express themselves? Shelton says, well, art is subversive by definition. Freedom of expression is political suicide if carried far enough. Our system depends on repression. Art is a way to get permission to stand alone individually and say what is felt. It may make us feel good to break windows, but there are consequences. There is a time to go to the barricades, and then there is a time to go back to the workshop, to the drawing board. Do people, Stone says, do people working in the theater have a responsibility to the community, to the audience? Shelton says, certainly. I think theater people, for the most part, have always been very socially responsible. Certainly the playwright communes with the public. Theater must serve the play. Give it to the world. Stone says, what about your own choices, uh, which actors, plays, and so on? Shelton says, uh... Ah, oh, yes, my gods, yes, yes. Lenny Bruce, Bob Dylan, Marlon Brando, of course. Angmar Bergman is filmmaker. Eugene O'Neill is playwright. Uh, Stone says, the dark ones. Shelton says, yes, I feel closer to them. Uh, 
Stone says, can an actress expect to find better parts today than she did, oh, 20 years ago? Shelton says, no, the parts are worse and there are fewer of them. There won't be more parts until more women are writing plays and getting them produced. Stone says, well, what about the women as directors? I think actresses have always had some clout in the theater. I mean, at least for the last century. So, but I think it's been the, the power of the courtesan. Even if they have great talent, they charm their way. Shelton says, a woman who wants to direct has to be brave enough to be the boss. An actor has presence and certainly power, but it is the director who has the large choices, the real impact. Many women hesitate to take initiative. Uh, they feel guilt, perhaps. They may feel a director's role is unbecoming masculine. I feel that women who do direct are just that, direct. They're forthright, specific. I don't mean you have to be a son of a bitch. Uh, women seem able to set aside their own needs for ego gratification and just get on with the work. Stone says, how do you feel when you direct a play? And Jean says, it was a problem only in the beginning. Men test you at first. Does she know what she's doing? Now I can pretty much be whatever I want to be. It's the one area in my life where my freedom is absolute. Actors believe me when I tell them which choices work. You, you don't feel you threaten men in any way? Sheldon says, maybe it's my accent. Stone says, you know you have no accent. Sheldon says, this conversation is getting a little too esoteric. Okay, Stone says, before we go on, I want to go back to where you said there are no parts for Wibson, for women. Ibsen had a few. Shelton says, men don't understand women. It's hard to write about what you don't know. Maybe that's why Tennessee Williams comes closer than most, because, uh, after all, he's a homosexual. Uh, Stone says, you don't have to be gay, but it helps. Shelton says, anything helps. Sensitivity, perception, imagination. Stone says, what's in the future? Are you making new plans for your school? And she goes on to talk about what she's going to do in the future and the eventual move to San Francisco and about how the kids like do videotapes now. She, Jean says that's not so hot as a teaching tool, uh, but as a record of performances, it's pretty good deal. Uh, anyway, um, Yes, she says the audience, yes, the audience, the audience, when an actor feels an audience respond, the performance changes, that's why, of course, the stage is so much more alive than film, Stone says, that sounds like a love affair, Shelton says, isn't everything, so I went with Jean to her evening class that night and talked with her students, they told me Jean's work is done with the utmost simplicity. Uh, a Zen master says that wisdom is skill in action. Yes, virtue, skill in action. One student referred to the Jean Shelton School of Humility. I asked him to uh, explain. He said he did not mean humiliation, but that quality of self-effacement that Jean demands from her actors and personifies in herself. Ah, 
Ah, I said, this is doubtless Stanislavski's ideal of one who loves the art in herself, not herself in art. The student quickly passed me on to someone else. <laughs> She told me her picture of Jean always included a tab in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Footnote here. Jean and I both quit smoking many, many years ago. We saw each other through that crisis. Anyway, I asked her, I asked the student if she felt there was any sexism present in the school. She says, oh no, the theater is so androgynous. I never think about anything like that. <laughs> And the rest of this essay goes on to describe Jean's favorite pub. Uh, And uh, I ask her about all the ups and downs in her life and how she keeps working day and night. And she says, oh, hell, just show me where I make my entrance. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20 to review the uh, Aurora Theater's production of Permanent Collection. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. Drop the shadows out of the Are you tired of the Matrix? The movie? No, not the movie, but the one you're living in. If so, then hang out with your friends at the Full Circle. What's the Full Circle? Full Circle is a radio show written, produced, and directed by apprentices right here at KPFA. We'll bring you everything from the obscure to the obvious, the hidden and the blatant, as well as all things in between. So be informed. Hear about your world community every Friday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on 94.1 FM, where we'll serve you the red pill.